Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. Joining me on this show is Eric Gates from Chain Bytes. If you've not heard of Chain Bytes, they are the number one Bitcoin ATM or BTM provider based in the US. Been around for a while, pumping out Bitcoin ATM machines. So this is something that's very interesting to me. I don't ever get to see these machines living this side of the pond. I think they're way more prevalent over in the US. So interesting for me to learn about and I hope you guys enjoy this rip. Now before we get into the show with Eric, I would like to make sure you guys are aware of the supporters of the show. Long-standing support from, you know who they are, Swan Bitcoin. SwanBitcoin.com forward slash bitten of course unlocks you ten dollars of bitcoin when you start stacking with swan with corey and yan and andy and stefan and all of the other cool crazy guys over at swan including you brady you knew i would never forget you they're doing great work over there our equivalent in europe are really r-e-l-a-i dot c-h forward slash bitten is going to unlock you I think lower fees, but you'll have to check. And you can get your own affiliate links with these guys as well. What's more exciting, both of these companies offer private service. You can DM me directly. I will put you in contact with either Swan or Relay, depending on who you want to use, which, or you call both. Do your own research, figure it out for yourself. You will get a white glove service from these guys and you will be able to stack some big amounts with them. Coincorner.com are based in the Isle of Man and they are an exchange and they have the bolt card and they are fully down the lightning rabbit hole and you are able to stack with those guys and auto buy and list your business there. They've got merchant accounts. My brother has done this himself and his coffee shop is receiving Bitcoiners from all over the UK. People are driving from two to three hours away just to come and use their bulk card just because they can. Accept it. They will come. Shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten is going to get you 5% off your Bitbox O2 Bitcoin only hardware wallet. This is so important. If you do not have a hardware wallet, if you're not taking self-custody, please Make sure you see to that. This is what we are here to do. Liberty in Our Lifetime is a conference coming up 21st, 23rd of October in Prague. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be uh, doing a speech about alternative education choices. There's going to be a handful of other Bitcoiners there. And it's going to be uh, a whole conference about freedom, maximalism, and finding out what free cities are up to. Make sure you book your tickets. Use the code in the show notes to get a discount. Amsterdam is the big one coming up. Make sure you get across there if you can. Meeting Bitcoiners in real life is amazing. And head over to Pacific Bitcoin, hosted by Swan on the west coast of the US. Find these links in the show notes. Enjoy this rip with Eric. All right, Lauren, we are here with Eric from Chainbytes. Uh, Eric, sorry, I should have said this is Lauren. She asked the first question of each Hi. show. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Good, you? Great, great. Okay, far away. What would you have? All right, so my question is, why do you prefer Bitcoin to money? <laughs> uh, it's a statement of truth. It's uh, it's not controlled by anyone. So that would probably be my favorite answer of uh, why I prefer it. I mean, but the law, the list is actually pretty long. I mean, what, what, flip it around. What do you like about money more than Bitcoin? Zero, nothing. There's nothing I like about money. <laughs> But and actually, Lauren, I'm going to layer on top of this. Your, your, your question should have been, why do you like Bitcoin instead of fiat currency? Because money, Bitcoin is money. 
Fiat currency is just fiat currency. I'm still 11, Daddy. I'm All not right. a 46 year old man. This, this is what, this <laughs> nuances. Is what... They're just words, right? Just, yeah. just there. But, but the words are important, right? The nuances of the words are important to him, but not to you, mm. right? Yeah. So it's not a, to just you. yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, honestly. For you, it may not even matter, right? Our idea of currency is going to change. I think as you get older, you're going to think on these ideas that he's talking about as actually being antiquated in any way. And you'd be like, you don't understand. And he'll be like, wait, what? Uh, okay, now I get it. It's Currency is just a representation of the value of your labor, your time, your money, so that you can put in your human mind a, a value to something. And that's what it represents. So those sort of things don't necessarily make a currency. Uh, anyway. We hope, <laughs> the pair of us hope that yeah, when it comes to you actually interacting with money in your everyday life, when you're older and you're earning money, you're earning Bitcoin and you are using Bitcoin to uh, express value and exchange your time and effort for. Because unfortunately, we didn't. We spent a lifetime working for the fiat currencies. Uh, Eric was working for a US dollar and I was working for a, uh, a British pound or a Singaporean dollar. Uh, so... And that's just getting inflated away from us. And that's, but that's all we knew. See, we didn't have other options. We knew that, okay, the system was rigged, but we didn't know how badly we didn't really think about it. Uh, however, now that there is other options and there are better ways to do it. All of a sudden now you're realizing, wait, we don't, we can opt out of that system and, and jump into this. Luckily you'll never have to worry about that. You're going to just jump into in the system that's already been, um, you know, built out. You're going to grow up with truth. So those are, those are also some reasons I like it better, but yeah. <laughs> I just realized I got to switch my mic. What a, what a rookie. All right. Oh, you're not even using the mic. Oh no. Yeah. Dude, I haven't spoken to. I know, I know. And I just realized, but no worries, no worries. Uh, the listeners, the listeners will never know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry about that, listeners, if that little bit at the beginning there is a little tinnier than, than this. Uh, okay, Lauren, did you want to carry on with that conversation or have you finished with your question? Uh, I was going to say name one good thing about money, but never mind. Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, has been, that has finally been disrupted. Cryptocurrency, <laughs> I mean. Uh, Name one good thing about cryptocurrency. Yeah, I was gonna ask that, but fiat currency. Name fiat one good yeah, one good thing about yeah. fiat currency. Yeah. Okay, that that's a question to Eric. All right, cool. One good thing about fiat currency um, that you can use it to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best use. That's it. <laughs> that's the best use right there. I can't think of another good use. So sorry. <laughs> That's a good one. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, bring it on. They can print as many as they like. We'll, we'll just, just use it to stack sats. Yep. That's it. All right. Well, do you want to say good night? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for your question. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Plural. Yeah. All right, Eric. Great to uh, great to meet you. Um, have. As well. we, we've not met in any way shape or form before we are you know complete and utter total strangers coming into this uh the first thing that strikes me is uh like me you're not a young whippersnapper gen z or millennial trying to change the world in the world of bitcoin so what's the background here um yeah i guess i'm not uh i, I have a background in software development uh i worked on wall street actually uh a, a lot of my career um, and one day I had a consulting firm and, and one of my clients had me look at this thing called Bitcoin back in 2011 and I dismissed it as some kind of PayPal thing that people were working on open source, but pff, whatever. Um, and then, uh, and then they said, no, we really want you to take a hard look at this thing. And, and so of course I read the white paper. I, I saw, uh, Andreas Antonopoulos talking about it. He's like, ah, oh, you should read the white paper. I was like, all right, fine. Let me read this white paper. It wasn't long. Well, that was it. <laughs> it that I, I resigned the next day. I was like, this is all I'm going to be doing. You guys will realize this is the future. Like, I'm not building these systems anymore. I found something. Um, it, it wasn't quite that quick. I, I, I figured I could break it. So I was trying to find out ways that I could prove, like uh, do cryptographic proofs in it and, and, and kind of rig the network. Um, but I realized, no, there's no way to do this. Like you can spam it all you want. You're just spending money. 
And so I thought, wow, this is, this is really something. And I didn't really think of it as money at the time. I thought of it as a, as a database, as something that I could store data on and, and do things. That's why we did the first blockchain wedding on a, on one of our Bitcoin ATM machines, because I wanted people to see this as more than just, Hey, yeah, there's value to all these addresses, but there's a lot more. There's a, there's a ledger that we can all agree on here. And, and that to me was super interesting. And so, um, you know, I've done a lot of stuff uh, with that. All right. So what was the, the role on Wall Street whilst you were there? Um, as a software developer, we're basically building systems, hedge funds, uh, mostly hedge funds, prime brokers, doing settlements uh, between prime, you know, large banks, uh, hedge funds, overnight settlements, trading, algorithmic trading, statistics, all, all sorts. Basically, if if you wanted automated it, we we at some point touched it and did something with it. So uh, I got to touch on everything, whatever, whatever. I, oh, that sounds interesting. Let me go figure that out. Um, and and you know, have a room full of these financial guys telling you how the system works and. Uh, did you cool. did you get caught up in the uh the the hft craze the high frequency trading uh oh yeah we did days? all that stuff as a matter of fact i was working at um uh, when when the whole um cdo bailout you know the the bailout we were working on those things i was working i won't mention the name of the company but we had huge amounts of stuff and we were creating like these back-end systems to communicate between them at the time and of course that fell apart existed so we stopped doing that um but yeah all, all of that yep Wow. I even tried trading myself. I did trading myself. I learned so much about it. I figured I, but right. I, I, figured, I I realized I don't have the, uh, the wherewithal to lose money like that. So I, I'll, yeah. I'll leave it to someone or uh, worse, other people's money. So exactly. That to other <laughs> so I would, um, I would have been on the other side of the fence there. I was, I was in the brokering arm of, uh, I, I worked on foreign exchange desks and currency options okay. trading desks. On, uh, gotcha. Yep. Uh, not in New York. I was never in New York. I was in London and Singapore. And um, yeah, and I remember the uh, the tech guys would come around and they would try and build us um, <laughs> trading screens. Do you remember when the whole market, that the foreign exchange options market was trying to go to um, live uh, volatility priced um, trading screens? And all the brokers were trying to beat each other to the punch so that the banks could just trade directly live on their on their screens and settle. Oh, yeah. Bank. Well, that's, when they were building like faster and faster networks there and then, you know, the, the, but the problem was even if you had faster data, it had to match what everybody else did. So at, at the end of the day, Bloomberg ended up being that statement of truth. So it didn't matter if you had faster, better data. It, it mattered what Bloomberg said at some point. So that whole race be, became like, why? Um, Bloomberg was the, the authority. So we would end up setting up these Bloomberg terminals that we would pull data from and connect it to Thompson. And we would, we would do all the other pricing, but at the end of the day, when they wanted to actually get the price, it had to match. This guy's had to match up with that. Otherwise they'd be like, why is my price different than this? Oh, arbitrage. No, they, <laughs> they didn't buy that. They, they wanted it to, they wanted, even if it wasn't the best, um, you know, but then of course there were people that wanted to do arbitrage and would jump in front of these things. Cause they knew Bloomberg was going to be the statement of truth. Anyway, you know, you know how that works. Oh, yes, I was. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> those those old days. Uh, I'm sure you. Saw... It seems silly now, right? It was just a race to get like the information a little bit quicker. But in the end, it didn't matter because even if you had the information a little quicker, um, you know, the market evens out, right? It realizes that every Bloomberg's going to price it, so it's going to lead the market. So you can do that, but then people would flip it on you and know that you were going to try to do that and play the other side. So it ended up even evening out anyway. <laughs> the, the stress of those days as well uh you know i'm sure you'd have had uh very late phone calls or um people screaming at you down the phone because oh early morning asian markets opened up and something right. didn't work oh yeah. I, I, every morning i would i dread when the asian markets opened up because something would inevitably happen from the close and I, like and yeah that would be the, the time when it happened every every morning so yeah remember those days don't oh miss my them. god yeah i don't miss them either but sometimes i wake up in cold sweats dreaming about them well not dreaming having nightmares of them being caught in a position and everything going to shit and everybody's screaming at you and like oh just that fear uh and dread it's um it's hard to explain no i've seen it uh listen we they had a whole closet full of computer monitors and keyboards because these traders would flip out when things happened they would like break their screen i'm sure you've seen them like they're heart attacks like these guys are um pretty high stressed so uh you know it was it was interesting being watching it and did not being the direct line of the problem you know if your software failed or something you don't want to be the cause of them losing the money so you want to make sure everything was working 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you find you you read the white paper. It starts clicking for you. Um, your your brain obviously works that way. It, it never clicked for me that that quickly, unfortunately. Uh, and obviously, yeah, building you know settlement systems. Uh, your your whole career, you saw something here uh, that when I suddenly started to to fall into the rabbit hole, the big thing for me was, oh shit, we get a jump on Wall Street with this. Like there's a whole new financial asset that is we're able to get our hands on, which these guys can't even touch yet because they were never going to touch it because it wasn't regulated and blah, 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 blah. Um, and that's what piqued my interest. Of course, number go up. Um, but I, I'm sure you came from um, more of a, a technical side of things, as you've explained there. How long did it take you um, to like extricate yourself from that world and start trying to apply your skills to to Bitcoin right away. I I, I well, I had some pretty pretty big ambitions right away of building these insurance derivatives and all these really crazy things on top of this immutable ledger that that was available on on Bitcoin. And then I went to the first conference and realized, oh my gosh, this is we got to build the infrastructure. We have to build like the basic on and off ramps and things like that. So that's what I did. I just started, you know, over the I put together. Uh, a rudimentary Bitcoin ATM machine and said, okay, here's an on-ramp people could put cash in and get Bitcoin. So I got it working and ordered some machines and started that company. And, uh, but you know, in general, I was looking at what, what other things can I do with Bitcoin here to disrupt? And I always challenge an audience, like give me an industry and I'll tell you how Bitcoin can disrupt that industry because people think of it as just money. And yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the orange pill you get sucked in by thinking of it as, Oh, price is going to go up because there's utility. But when you start really digging into utility and realizing the things that it brings to the table, you realize why. And, and so I guess that's more of where I've been focused is, is on that side, even though I have an on and off ramp company. Um. <laughs> so let's talk about it, chain bytes. Uh, why, mm -hmm. why ATM machines? What, what was the, the thinking there? S simple on and off ramps and we could deploy them pretty much everywhere has cash currency that can be turned into bitcoin so we can consume as much of it as possible and turn it into bitcoin and make it accessible to people um all over uh so you know that's what i did and set out to to do that so i've done gift card companies as well again in easy on ramps off ramps for people to get in and out of bitcoin is i think the starting point where where we we're still not even there really i mean it's going to take a while to build that infrastructure but that those things need to be built out. When did you do the first ATM? 2012. <laughs> Holy shit, really? <laughs> yeah. Where was it? Where did you where did you place it? Um well, so so the first thing I did is I bought a company Liberty X. They're they're now doing uh something different, but they had a bunch of they had machines in Harvard and MIT, so I bought three machines initially from there. They were the first machines actually deployed in the US. Um, the hardware that they were running on, like we had to send somebody out every day to fix them. And like, this mm. isn't, you know, so I, I had hoped that I was going to be able to use that software, but it was crap. So I ended up just writing it myself. Six versions later, we had something that we could sell to the public. But meantime, I was operating machines and doing them myself and, you know, uh, writing the software and all of that. But yeah, that's, that's what all we right. did. So let's, let's talk through a, uh, how one of these things works then. Um, any old pleb can go up to one of these machines and put in some hard-earned dollars. Can they use card as well, or is this just purely cash? No, uh, purely cash. I mean, we, we have the capability to take cards, but banks don't want to play ball. Payment processors don't want to, pay ball, to play ball. And, and as you know, uh, Bitcoin is not reversible, so uh, people could do chargebacks. Mm -hmm. So it, it didn't. Uh, nobody's made that work yet. We do have some operators who are going to try it out here shortly again. But uh, for, yeah. Or time being, it's cash. So they come up to the machine. Uh, if they don't have a wallet, they can print a paper wallet at the machine. Um, and then they scan their wallet and they just put their cash in the machine. Depending on the jurisdiction they're in, depending on, depends on if they have to provide any identity or how much um, information you need to provide. Here in the United States, most operators operate zero to $500, no ID, 500 to 1,000, SMS verification, $1,000 and over, government ID. So most people can just walk up and buy $50 worth of Bitcoin in a few seconds. <laughs> we need more of these that's my next question how many of these machines that, that we have or or the world has in general i mean the, so in the, I think we just hit, 
Uh, we have a few hundred, mostly here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we have them spread out all over the world, but we're, we've been focused here in the United States. I also operate them, so we sell them. Um, but I also have some operations companies that were operating here in the United States. Um, and we just opened, started operating in Mexico and for one of my companies. And uh, yeah, so we're excited about that. Matter of fact, uh, we put a, a Bitcoin ATM machine into the Mexican Senate building, I guess, three or four months ago. And so the senators were, were talking about that. And so, well, we haven't really announced it yet, but what the hell? When, <laughs> when does this get when does this get broadcast next week? Yeah, probably in the next three to five days. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So by by Monday, the cattle be out of that. So um, I was there, and one of the head senators said, "Well, um, you know, what else? What else could we do with this machine?" I said, "Well, we could vote on it. We could we could actually vote on the blockchain." And senators could come by and put their vote on here because they the machine is literally on the Senate floor. So they all the senators walk by the machine as they're going to the little terminals. There's this little black room in the middle and they do their actual vote. So they walk by the machine as they're going there. So instead of that, they walk by and they vote on the machine and it goes on the blockchain and then their constituents can see it on there. And he's like, you could do that. I was like, no problem. We can do that. He says, if you do that, we'll do that. I said, if you promise to do that, I'll build this. So we built it and we're going to be doing it Monday. Tuesday, some sometime next week. Holy shit! That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, we're using we're using like the old Bitcoin, like colored coins way of. There's like in Bitcoin, every transaction has like a, a space where you can put stuff into it. So we're putting it right into Bitcoin. Uh, every single transaction, every single vote, every single thing goes right on the Bitcoin. And then we have an explorer that's reading from that. Uh, we just made up our own little algorithm for it and and disseminating the the, the data. So. Showing them it's not just money. So they were trying to argue Bitcoin is money to get the law passed, recognizing Bitcoin is money in, in Mexico. And I was like, well, let's change the argument. How about we talk about transparency? How about this ledger where you can vote on the ledger and show your constituents how you're voting? Who's going to argue against that, right? That's that's not something they're going to argue against. So let's let's talk about that now. So we poison poison pill. We put the put the machine in there. We got it on the floor. It's still there. And now we're going to put a voting app on it. And they're all for it. So we'll see. See how it goes. Wow, <laughs> they're, they're all for it. That's interesting. Well, um, says I don't know. There's there's politics going on there too. So yeah. I, I don't know. It it seems like both parties are kind of pro Bitcoin, but uh, they all have different ideas. I guess about who's going to bring it to the table. But we've been working with um, Senator Indira, and she's been very very helpful in everything that we've done down there. So, well, that's great to hear. And do you know? I mean, are people stacking sats in there? Like, are they using the machine? Uh, not so much in the Senate. So when we put it in, it was almost the end of the Senate. So it's, it was closed up until a few days ago. Um, yeah, certainly the senators have come down and asked about it, talked about it, bought some. But I wouldn't say they're in there stacking Satoshis. That, they're not using it for that. They're using it for educational purposes. Like, how does this work? What is Bitcoin? You know, what, what are we even talking about here? And what's 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 the risk here? They're talking about money laundering, things like that. And how does, how does all that work? So um, we, we're using it more as an educational tool. We don't expect to make money at, on the machine. And certainly not on the votes. <laughs> no, absolutely not. That's amazing. All right, so getting back to um the the playbook experience then. So it's yep. great non KYC way to go and um exchange. Um... Yeah, it is KYC. I mean, at the end of the day, it takes a picture of you. You are coming up to a machine. Um, so mm. so to some extent, you are you have your wallet that's now associated with with all of that. So I would I, I would definitely not call it totally not KYC, but. And it's certainly if people have come up and tried to use this machine over and over at $300, $400, well, you know, that's going to cause bigger problems than if you had just, it, it's not a great tool for, for getting non-KYC Bitcoin. Okay. So. Oh, that's interesting because I always thought that was one of the better ways to do it. Uh, we're regulated just like any, we're registered with FinCEN. We, we do all the mm. reporting everybody else does. So if they want something, they get it. Are the cameras built into the machine or they're, they're just in a yes. foyer with it? Right. Okay. They're built into the machine, so there's a lot. Yeah, it takes a picture of you when you when you first start the transaction. Um, you know, people have blocked camera that kind of you know that kind of thing to not get their picture taken and bought yeah. some Bitcoin. And you could do that to a limited extent. Again, what are you going to do with five hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin? Not a whole. And we're not overly no, exactly. concerned about that activity, and we don't really see that um, too much. Some people, yeah, they want to buy Bitcoin and don't want to be don't want anybody to know who they are, so they can buy a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin and and do all that. Yeah, I mean, you could pretty much call it non-KYC at that point. 
Well, yeah, and it's been perfectly fine to cover your face with a mask for the last couple of years. So you can, uh, and dark glasses and a hat. <laughs> well, that's true too. So that's funny that before all that, right, we were, we were like, you know, you could recognize people now. And, and during the, when everyone was wearing a mask, they're like, ha, who knows? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the time to stack at, at the, uh, at the ATMs. I guess uh, <laughs> one, one question I'd like to know is where do you, where do you plug into for your liquidity then? How, how does that work? So, um, so we hedge currency risk. So, the, so laws in the United States on on a state level are that we can't involve a third party, so we can't send it directly from an exchange. So everybody has their own what they call a hot wallet in the middle there. So the liquidity providers like Gemini or any of the regulated exchanges, you know, um, you're just buying it back and then periodically sweeping that money into your hot wallet. So your hot wallet, think of it like a vending machine. You're issuing out the candy bars, um, but at the same time you're ordering new candy bars. So mm -hmm. you're locking in your profit. You sold that candy bar with a profit and then you bought back that candy bar to reduce price and then periodically they bring them to the machine. Um, so liquidity is done through the ex normal exchanges. Okay. For the most part. Again, an operator can do it any way they want. That's, I mean, we've automated all of it. So that's 99% of them do it that way. But some of them just, you know, some of them are miners. So they may have their own Bitcoin. So they don't need to hedge it off of a, an exchange or anything like that. They're, they have more Bitcoin. So depends on the operator. So is the business model then on the um the, the percentage uh you capture uh between the exchange and the person that is uh taking it out of Correct. the ATM. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and the fees range depends on again what, what part of the world you're in. In the United States fees range from uh as low as seven percent to thirty percent. They're all over the place. Is there any can these machines be used for uh, remittances as well uh, for people that are yep. sending money back down to El Salvador or wherever? Yep. Um, so Chivo actually has a, a deal here in the United States on some machines where there's no fee. So there's no fee on either side. So absolutely that that's the idea there that they were setting that up to where they, people could send money, put it in the machine, they receive it on the other side. Um, I think there's some, the only problem with that is the, the regulatory hurdles. Like I, I mentioned in the United States, if you involve a third party, which I don't. I don't want to get. Into, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not going to get into the legal side of it. But if you involve a third party, there's some legal ramifications to that, regardless of if it's a government or a country or anything else. You're not directly selling it between you and them, and that's kind of how you fly under the radar with the state regulators and not having to register as a state MSB in every single state. Is that you don't take a currency risk like the customer um, on a state level. The the it's customer protection, right? On a federal level, it's anti-money laundering. So federally, yes, everyone's regulated. But on a state level, as long as you're not involving that third party and you follow these certain rules, you don't have to register as a state MSB. That's it. So um, to answer your question, absolutely, it's used as a remittance tool. We have lots and lots of machines that people come to every week and send money to Mexico, El Salvador, uh, Chile, you name it, uh, Ghana. Uh, some people buy Bitcoin and buy phone credits and send people phone credits because they don't have um a way to on the other side to get rid of the bitcoin so a lot of africa uses phone credits you can you can do that so uh, all sorts of people use the machine in very creative ways sometimes you ask them what they're what they're doing and uh you know little little granny is sending money to her her nephew in, in college okay interesting really okay oh sure yeah i mean you know sometimes when especially when they send large amounts where we're definitely asking them what they're doing make sure they're not getting scammed uh, we don't see money laundering as much as we do people people actually being scammed, right? Uh, Falling for like a phishing kind of email, like I'm the prince of Nigeria, yeah, please send all me of that. Uh, yeah, all of that. Yeah. Oh no. Even worse, you and you, we, we 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 should do a show just on all the scams. Some of them are very intricate. If those guys would would put their work, put their minds to some creative work, they'd be they'd be. Go on, drop anyway, us an yeah. example. So, uh, people out there, uh, if they if they weren't aware of this kind of stuff that's going on, then they're going to be, uh, you know, more savvy to it. Well, I mean, so the IRS scam. So, uh, <laughs> one of the first nights we were running a machine, uh, a guy came in, dropped twenty thousand dollars in a machine, and we called <laughs> him and talked. Yeah, and we called him and talked to him. And was like, hey, what is it? And he's like, oh, you know, I want to just buy Bitcoin and for my own personal use, investment, yada yada. And we're like, okay. Um, and then two days later, he calls back and said he was scammed. And the way he was scammed was an IRS quote, an IRS agent called and said, you owe you know, this money. If you don't pay it immediately, we're going to come arrest you. And so he figured he's in big trouble and he went out and cashed his money out and he came to the machine and dumped $20,000 of cash in there. And, uh, you know, that was the first time we saw that scam. We've seen that one a lot. Marshall service does that. 
right? U.S. Marshal Service, we have a warrant out for your arrest. If you don't go to this federal bonding machine and scan this code, uh, we're going to come arrest you. So they come to the machine with this code. They don't even know it's Bitcoin. They just know a code and they got to put, you know, select the amount of money and they go through the whole thing. And then when we call them and we're talking about Bitcoin, they don't even know what we're talking about. And then so we catch those scams a lot. So they get a little more creative with them. So those are some examples. But you've managed to catch a few. Oh, we catch a lot of them. Uh, we, we, we're, we've we gotten very good at identifying the activity that, that warrants a scam. So they And the scammers know it, so they don't send them to our machines too much anymore because we've gotten pretty good at catching them. So they'll, they'll go to others' machines that don't necessarily have that kind of capability. Damn. It's, I mean, it's not just a problem. It's not a problem just in Bitcoin. Like these, this is going on gift cards. This is going on Western Union. This goes on everywhere. So this is just another avenue for them to get money. And as a matter of fact, half the people that we get help, um, we're the ones that catch them. They've already bought gift cards. They've already visited other Bitcoin ATM machines. They've already done all of that and, and lost all that money. And then when you got to us, we stopped it and, and found it. Hopefully, you know, we don't catch it all. We certainly, certainly hear about the horror stories afterwards sometimes. And, but we try. So with remittances, <laughs> what what's the? Uh, I guess my question is: short, isn't it not easier just to put the money in, take can take custody of the Bitcoin yourself, and then send it to the Chivo wallet rather than just what what would be the yes. uh, what would be the oh, upside? You can do that. What'd be the upside to doing it just all via the machine, like put the money in and then have the machine send it? Well, they so what they do is they come and scan their family's wallet. So they're, oh, I they're, see. That, that's. So that's a third party. It's not the person standing in front of the machine. So they scan their family's wallet, which, you know, it should be okay. It should be fine to do. But in mm -hmm. the United States, again, there's rules around that. That's a third party. So even though, so that's true remittance. We can't do real remittance like that. So mm -hmm. if they take custody of it, I don't care what they do with it. They can send it to whoever they like. But if they send it directly to a third party, then then we have to care because, you know, they, they've involved somebody else. And those people need to be checked to make sure that we're not participating in, in some kind of illegal activity. So. Those are the you'd, rules here. You'd never know, would you, if that was a family's um, wallet? We, we don't. Typically, so we tell them, obviously, don't involve a third party. Certainly, some of it gets gets through. Um, so there's other things that may flag it, and we'll just talk to them. At the end of the day, if we catch, you know, quote, catch them, all yeah. we do is have them set up their wallet and show them how to do it with their own wallet. And honestly, they would rather do it that way. They just don't know what they're doing. Yet. And that's that's. A lot of the users we get are just really new users. Our customer support just spends as much time as they need to explain it to them what's going on. So a lot of times they just don't understand what they're doing and their family's sending them here. Just scan this, provide whatever they need you to provide and do this. And we'll say, okay, no, here's how it works. And here's how you can send it to them after the fact. So yeah, we educate a lot of people. And funny enough, a lot of the people that we that we uh, help with the scams end up buying Bitcoin anyway and holding on to it. So I remember people in that when Bitcoin was, you know, a thousand, three thousand, five thousand dollars that got scammed, and you know they're sitting on a good chunk of change. That not only did they not lose the money that they lost in the scam, but you know they bought Bitcoin at the time and held it. Good work, mate. That's yeah, those are those are good filling. stories. They're not all good stories, but you know it's it's good it's good when you have a few of them. It's it's nice. So, how do you guys choose a location? Um. Well um we we figure out where we want to go and we have there's there's services that we can say so, say we wanted to be in Reading, pennsylvania we would tell them you know we want to all uh, gas stations bodegas or it depends on what it is and they just cold call them and offer them rent and uh then we uh, negotiate something put the machine in and see how it goes oh right okay so that's another part of the business model sorry excuse me i never run atm machine <laughs> so you 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 have to pay <laughs> yeah the the, the shop you have to pay rent to right. to the location yeah sure the shopkeeper so it's retail space right so everything in the retail store earns them money so they're paying a certain amount for the store space so our machines take four square feet on the floor so it's going to make them more money than anything else they have in the store so they're certainly going to make room for it so you give them a couple like three or five hundred dollars a month uh for that floor space it brings them traffic it brings them attention it, it works really well most of them are very happy with uh with you know the relationship so do you target certain – I'm just trying to get my head around how you would sit around a table, it, have a it meeting. It depends like, where you are. Right. It depends on your – so in Mexico, we're targeting shopping malls because mm -hmm. I would, gas stations are not places where people go uh, with large amounts of cash and things like that. In Mexico, it's just not a thing. In the United States, you know, if you want to go to the ATM machine, where do you go? Either a local bank or you go to the gas station where they have an ATM machine. 
so we found eight gas stations to be the best place for our Bitcoin ATM machines right next to the ATM. They come pull the cash out and then they buy Bitcoin with it. And, and so what we found is the best operators are the traditional ATM operators that are now moving into this new technology and providing Bitcoin ATMs. And our largest operators are uh, our traditional ATM operators that are just literally putting them right next to the, they've got the locations, they've got the relationships. Now they're just plopping them in next to their old ATM machines. How many other companies are doing this in the U.S.? Well, there's a lot of operations companies. There's nobody manufacturing. There's maybe two other companies manufacturing in the U.S. Most are operators. Most people are just buying the machines and operating them. I would say there's 400 some operators in in the world. Most of them in the United States. Are they buying the machines from you as well? They're buying machines from us. They're buying the machines from our competitors. There's 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 all sorts of machines at this point uh, out there. There's there's probably maybe three or four really good ones, including ours. Uh, the rest of them. They don't have KYC. They're lacking this. They don't, you know, they don't work. Uh, there's other problems with them. So, you know, be be aware. We get a lot of those calls that people have already bought these things from China somewhere and want us. And are like, we can't help you. Sorry, that's <laughs> not our. It's not our hardware. It's not our software, and we don't we don't know anything about it. So, yeah. we are so behind, man. In Europe, I, I I know there are a few around, and I know some Bitcoiners that use them, but I'm yet to even see one. I, I'm in France. I've yet to see a Bitcoin ATM. This is the sad state of affairs over here. Well, I can tell this you the regulations. So in in France, uh, we talked to a bunch of people in France. Uh, the reg they they never got through the regulation. Um, they were they were very uh, fearful, I guess, of of how the regulation. There was no certainty, and uh, you know it, it just never went anywhere. We never ended up selling any machines. I'm surprised there's no machines there now, but. Um, Again, countries countries like France, where they just let it very uncertain, people don't want to operate there because they're afraid the government will just come in and take everything and close them down, throw them in jail. You don't want to have that, so you need some certainty. So I haven't followed up on that, but most of Europe, you can get Bitcoin relatively easy. It's actually easier to get Bitcoin in Europe than it is in the United States, just through your normal banking. In the United States, if you, if you bought Bitcoin through your normal bank, a lot of them will just shut down your account um, and wiring and sending money is very, very difficult in the United States. You can't just go on your computer and say, Hey, I want to send $5,000 off. You, you can't, you have to go into the branch, send a wire. It's, it's quite a process, right? So, um, you know, Europe, Europe's a little more, uh, forward in that, in that way. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we do have a good amount of exchanges, uh, Bitcoin only exchanges or Bitcoin only apps, which you can plug into your your bank account, and it depends on which bank and how much you're allowed to do before you're going to get flagged. Uh, it's definitely got stricter, um, but yeah, so it's interesting to see how this ATM. But it is plays. easier. I mean, we have Cash App. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is easier. We don't do as the machines never. We had some in Amsterdam. We had some in in, in a couple of locations in Europe, and they never did as well uh, as the United States. The United States by far does a much bigger volume for the, the very reason that that whole process of getting approved on an exchange or setting up the account, most people are, that that's way beyond their capability mm. to literally scan their wallet and take a photograph and, you know, upload it. And that's, you know, at the machine, it walks them through the process and they're comfortable with it. So they're willing to pay more for it. Does it work in the reverse? Can yeah. you, you, you yeah. so you can pull cash out? Yep, you can sell the Bitcoin back to us and then it dispenses cash. We have recyclers on our machines. So the cash that went in can also be recycled. Uh, we don't charge a fee for that. So there's zero fee. So if they sell us Bitcoin, they're getting spot rate. So they're getting full value on our machines. Again, our operators, some of them charge a fee. And, you know, but as, as me as an operator, I'm like, if you're doing me a favor, taking the cash out of the machine, I don't have to deal with it with Armored Car Service. Go ahead and take it. So, Do you go around uh, to all the conferences? I haven't for a while, but I am now. Um, I just did uh, Talent Land in Guadalajara. I'm going to be doing Blockchain Land. Um, I, yeah, I'm all. I yeah, I'll be everywhere. You're going for it, and you're going to take a machine and and put one in each conference center and see if the. Uh, well, we're we're trying to figure that out. We have done that a lot. Like so, we have operators all over the place. So typically, wherever there's a, a conference, we can pull a machine for a little bit and put, throw one in there, or they have one. Uh, that, that we send them. So yeah, we'll do that. Have you, is there any sponsorship angle here as well? Like, uh, do you, do you work uh, alongside other Bitcoin machines that, uh, excuse me, Bitcoin companies that want to put up their, um, 
their company brand or something like that or we... yeah we have some we have some relationships like in mexico uh we're going to be partnering with the mexican exchange there for liquidity and also partnership for them to provide uh, other services for us um you know we've been approached to do that a lot a lot of times it's just shit coiners want us to put some yeah, of their coins of onto the machine i was like well if bitco if bitco has it on there you, you can support it but you know those aren't really serious people most, most of the people that are actually running these machines are only selling bitcoin a few of them have ethereum or dogecoin or something like that on them but but we look at the numbers it's all bitcoin and it's like don't don't mess, you're confusing your customers like um especially the bitcoin cash and you know the, the for a while they were getting all these customers that were scanning bitcoin cash wallets and um they were very confused as to what it was that they were trying to purchase and that was and litecoin that's even the worst it's like i can't afford a whole bitcoin should i buy a litecoin oh, take it off just don't don't do it <laughs> it's the worst <laughs> with yeah i don't know i was tricked by that but everybody well. thinks they want to do it they they try it out they try it out and i tell them okay so it's gonna I, if you last three months first of all you have to provide a supply of all these coins whatever try it out but yeah, anyway, so a lot of the sponsorships are, are usually those guys wanting to do that. Um, you know, it, it is a good platform. It's a good on-ramp for an exchange or, or over-the-counter. Uh, the software will run over-the-counter um, software in there as well. So you can do all that. And the the, the education that, that just, um, you just layer that on top on with your customer support, or is there any other cool little things that you can build into the machine that uh, is going to keep people um, we have a second asking questions? We have a second screen. So there's one screen that you do the actual transaction, but there's another screen on top that you can provide all the educational materials. So typically we'll have like a, a splash screen that explains how to use the machine. What, what is Bitcoin? How to, you know, what all, all of these things. So somebody can just sit there and watch it for a while. Uh, we put brochures out. We, we, we try all different angles. At the end of the day, a lot of times it's just a phone call. They call and say, I don't know what I'm doing. Help me out. I'm like, how do I set up a wallet? And we don't mind doing that. We'll set them up with a wallet. We'll, we'll walk them through. They might only buy $50 worth of Bitcoin at the time, but who knows? They'll be back. You know, they, they'll think about it. They 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 realize they they took the orange pill. They got $50 worth of Bitcoin. That's all it takes. Then they're going to go, that was actually not so bad. I think I could do that again. And either they call us or come back and do it again. So we have a laundromat that we have a machine in, and it's hilarious. Kids will come up and use the machine and you see the parents in the back. And then like 10, 15 minutes later, you see the parent. They want the kid to figure it out first before they use it. That's what's going on there. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the reason I ask about um, education, I'm just wondering if there's uh, like that second page just after the um, the transaction has been made, maybe a QR code could pop up or, or four or five QR codes with different articles um, in different languages that they could just flash on their phones. And then they've just got something to take away with them. You know, if they've got Bitcoin, not blockchain by Parker Lewis, or they've got uh, one of Gigi's articles or, you know, uh, something in, in, translated into Spanish, obviously, it's a big language in the, in the US. Uh, it could be something there um, to, just to help these people on their way. Well, we do have that. So, yeah, it's tough. No, we do that on the second screen. And they look at it, but they don't know where to start. The problem is they don't, mm. the, the, all these names, these, what you just said is like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't know where to, where, <laughs> how, where, where do I start? Like what, how, what, you know, so, so you, it's hard to get them to go and research something that they don't, we're speaking another language to them. Mm. And so that's where you have to have the, a lot of times the human interaction. Uh, one of the things that we're test piloting now is the video conferencing on the machine. So providing better customer support. Um, you know, working with um, actually wounded veterans that'll be able to provide support uh, and do the same same things that we're doing over the phone. But now right at the machine, they can literally click on a button that comes up. So we've been playing around with doing some of that. But a little bit of a logistics problem. Not all the networks are so great where we have these machines. So we'll see. How many people do you have in the company? Um, so we have a bunch of different companies under, I guess, Chainbytes. So Chainbytes just kind of sits on top and there's a bunch of companies under there. I guess we have about 40 or 50 people at this point. Well done, mate. That's, uh, that's excellent. It's, uh, Thanks. it's good to know. Yeah. It's good to know that there's all of this building going on out there. I mean, I being introduced to, uh, you, uh, you know, somebody reached out from your company on Twitter and it's like, Wow, okay yeah adiv my social yes adiv yeah, yeah well, thank you to you <laughs> yep. uh and yeah, for setting you. this up because learning about all this just makes us all that little bit extra bullish for those people that didn't know this was going on behind the scenes um 
and there is so much going on right now. Geyser Fund uh, have been. Um, I don't know if you follow these guys on on Twitter yet. G e y s e i s e r Geyser, um, built for the plebs, built by the plebs for the plebs to to support each other's fund each other's projects, and uh, they just announced um, two days ago the the first round of grants. So they've been had, uh, splitting up a Bitcoin to all of these builders out there and ranges from educational videos to writing to singing to dancing to motor racing teams. Oh, nice. Like it's, yeah. So th there's so <laughs> much going on out there. Everybody's been inspired like you were that first time reading the uh, the white paper and realizing, shit, I've got to do something here. Yeah. Now this is, this is a game changer. This is a once in your lifetime. Like I had the internet you know, the internet came along. We didn't really know how to monetize it or what to do with it. Now we see it, it here, but this is obvious. This, this changes our whole financial system that has not really been disrupted in a very long time. But on top of that, you know, the idea of governance and the, and immutable ledger and, and, and those sort of things are to me even more exciting than, than the idea of, of money because money alone, yes, it's important, but that concept of money is going to change. Our idea of transferring value is going to change. It's going to become your your daughter's going to, it's going to be so simple. She's just going to scan something and something changed value. I don't know what that is behind the scenes, but I paid for it and they'll understand what that is and have some meaning to them. And, you know, the world changes and money hasn't changed in a very long time. And I think it is now and we'll see. Yeah. And, um, I'm here for it. So before we <laughs> hit record, uh, we did talk very, very briefly. I wanted to, to come around to this. Uh, you said you were a pilot and uh, you've got um, a plane and this is something that uh, you enjoy doing, uh, flying. Um, I I feel that there's a big uh, urge within the space, myself included, to start learning how to fly and to go through um, the, uh, the the hoops, so to, so to speak, of, of that journey. Are we being misguided in the thought that is going to give us more self-sovereignty? It's going to solve our we hate commercial travel problems. What's the uh, you know what 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 are the actual practicalities of of learning to fly and you know how much freedom does it actually afford you? That that's my kind of adversar adversarial thinking as to my utopic dream of yeah, let's just take the jet, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can see, I mean, um, you know, the, the, the dirty little secret is, yeah, you don't go through. So I have an airplane here at Harrisburg International and I don't go through security. I don't go through TSA. I literally put my code into this thing where I have a hangar and take my plane and call them up and say, Hey, I'm going, and I don't have to tell them where I'm going. Um, that's a controlled airport, um, uncontrolled. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to turn your radio on. If you don't want to you go get in your plane and go. You're going to cross borders like across, you know, to Mexico or something. Then you got to let them know that's a whole process to go there. So that you, you're still uh, restricted in that way. But as far as traveling in the United States, it's like getting in your car and going. You're not telling anybody what you're doing. You're not asking permission. You get in your car and you go. You get in your airplane and you go. If you're in a controlled airport like Harrisburg, um, I just have to tell them I'm taking off, and they're going to just say, "Hey, okay, you know, maintain out or below 3000 until you get through our airspace, blah, blah, you know, give me some instructions to get out of their airspace, but I don't have to tell them where I'm going. I don't have to ask permission. All right. Everybody's so. on board with that. Okay. So how do we start <laughs> learning how to fly? But if we get a whole bunch of people becoming pilots, that yeah. all might change because then they'll be like, oh, we can't have this. So, you know, it's, it's a very exclusive club. We want to keep it, uh, keep it like that, but no, it's great. I mean, um, people don't when I, when when I fly with people, they don't understand every airport in this country, and there's little ones everywhere has a pilot's lounge where you can go sleep, um, refuel. They have cars that they give you for free. We got stuck in Georgia, and and they just say, "Here's the car, you know, go go get something to eat and go to the hotel and see you in the morning, and you know, you come back." It's 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 a different world that people don't even realize exists, except at this this private club, I guess. So, what got you into it? Um. <laughs> uh, I I didn't have custody of my son, and and his mother was about seven hours away, and driving back and forth was just like that uh, was too much. I'm like, so I bought an airplane and figured out, and then I got my license, and I was taking my instructor. We were flying up and picking him up, and I was learning to fly as I was picking him up. But that's, I guess, that's the motivation originally. But once I started doing it, I mean, I I love it. I just love flying up there. Now for. for... Are we being misguided again? 
in thinking it's prohibitively expensive. It's like a real. Uh, Go ahead. It's it well. So I looked at the cost. So when I originally uh, got into flying, I looked at the. So I got into a a, a partnership on the plane. So it cost me five thousand dollars, and then I hired a uh, a local instructor. It was like thirty dollars an hour. So all in, I probably spent ten thousand dollars to get my my license and owned a quarter of an airplane. Um, and then at the, and then I bought ended up buying up the whole airplane when I finished my license and everything else. But um, yeah, uh, it's you know, with gas prices now, it's probably a lot more money. I mean, it just keeps going up, and the price mm-hmm. of planes keeps going up, and all of that. So it's not so, cheap. Um, what kind of plane is it? Uh, now I have a uh, Aero Commander. There's you've never heard of it. There's only four hundred of them left in the world. It's a uh, scarce. Uh, <laughs> okay, I see what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> Scarcely, I'm hoping it goes up. And it never. Well, it does go up in price, but it's, yeah, I'm never gonna make money off of it. Um, but it has a big engine. It's a complex. It has retractable gear. It has a lot of the things that I wanted in it. So, um, and it's IFR, so I can fly instrument. It, it has a lot of the things that I wanted. So, I just got that about four or five months ago. How far can you go in that in one sitting? Um, from here to Florida, basically in one one tank. So what? That's you know like a thousand nautical miles. How many people can you get in that thing? Four, but not really. Not with full tanks, right? You're you're you got a weight limit, so you gotta you gotta balance it out. So if you have four people in there, there's no way you're gonna have full tanks. So you're not going that distance with four people. I was going to say, you're going to have some plebs hitting you up to fly them down to Miami for the conference in April 2023. Well, we do. Like, so, so my, yeah, my sales guys, they all want to, you know, we're, we're all going to, that's where we are going to the conferences and we're all going to jump in the plane. They're all, they're all local here where I am in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So I'll pick them up and we'll head to wherever, or Miami or, or Tampa. We have an office in Tampa actually as well. So a lot of times we go down there. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the plebs, they would love to, either pay sats to someone that they um, can learn from and get a, a, a better experience from when they're traveling, uh, that there's something here. I was talking to a, a pilot just in uh, Riga the other day, a British guy, and I was like, man, come on, like, surely if there was a bunch of you guys all together in a Telegram group and people could drop in and say, Anyone here able to fly me, you know, I'm in France. Could someone just fly me from France to Silverstone to go watch the Bitcoin racing guys? How many sats, uh, you know, let's go. Uh, but at the same time, they can't, they're not allowed to do it. You can't? They're not, they're not allowed to do it. No, because you have, okay, so you have to have a special license to take money from people. It's, it, that's where you have, a, you have to have a commercial pilot's license in order to take money from people to, to, to travel. Okay. So, yeah so so i would only, just like if you're I, an airline I'd pilot, have to pay yeah. for the gas sort of thing yeah exactly you could split the gas that's technically okay you can split you can't pay for the whole gas either you have to split the gas you can't pay for the whole thing hmm yep faa rules i, I could i could <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm sure you could still find pilots that are that are commercial rated that wanted to do it but again you're narrowing there's only a hundred thousand pilots now you've narrowed it down to maybe twenty thousand pilots so mm-hmm. it's you're those are the rules i guess i could always you know shout the steak dinner afterwards as well and uh everybody's double happy yeah it, it, again it's like the friends thing it's not they're, they're just trying to stop it from being a commercial flight but the fact that you're opening openly soliciting and, and offering a flight and you don't know it, that would be a problem too like he can't do that they have all sorts of weird rules about about how you can fly people um even even if you're not taking money from people, you have to do three takeoff and landings by yourself within the last 90 days to take people at night. And there's, there's other restrictions on taking passengers, even if you're not a commercial pilot. So um, when money's involved, yeah, pretty much have to be a commercial pilot. Mm, okay. That's interesting. Sorry to all kill right. your dreams. <laughs> no, uh, well, I, first but of all, I've, I've you're, you're dealing learn. with a very highly regulated market. <laughs> so, uh, you know, <laughs> just, just another one, huh? Now, yeah, is it highly regulated or highly subjugated? That's that's the, the realization I've been coming to today with uh, our monetary system as it stands. You know, when, when people say, oh, I can't invest in Bitcoin because, you know, it's unregulated and blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh, God, no. <laughs> Compared to what? Like your legacy financial markets, which are complete subjugation. Uh, that's not regulation. And you look at the, um, like, look at the Bitcoin 
network, there's nothing more regulated. It's regulated by physics, first of all, and then by the you know tens, if not tens of thousands, minimum of nodes, individual node runners around. I mean, this is as highly regulated as it gets, and it's completely transparent. So what more regulation do you need? Well, they want that human, right? They want that human to say everything's okay. Uh, they, they don't necessarily trust that code because they can't read it. But you don't understand how that market works either. So you don't even understand what that regulator is. You're just completely delegating that and saying, okay, I trust that because you said it's okay, it is okay. And we're programmed to think like that. We're programmed to trust those markets because in the past, those were the markets that we had available to us. So, um, you know, I get it. It's very hard for people to understand what this means to them and and how... What do you mean it's unregulated? Well, the the market is unregulated in this in the sense of, of legal, but like you said, it's it's highly regulated. Like the rules are simple. You either participate and, and abide by the rules or we toss you out. That's it. That's as simple as it gets. And instead of creating these convoluted, like what that's what we were doing on Wall Street, we create these convoluted systems and we try to force this exotic derivative that we created into the system that doesn't support it, but we got it working somehow, right? And 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 you know. I mean, how long do you build on a system like that until it all just kind of falls apart? Whereas this, it's like very simple. Here, here's here's the rules you got to abide by. We don't care what you put in there. We don't care what you do with it, but here's the rules and away you go. And now everybody knows these are the set of rules. They're not going to change and you can play the game. So it's very powerful. Very powerful. More, more so than we even more so than we even realize. Right. Very regulated. It is. Like, you're right. Like when people say it's unregulated, well, what's your definition of regulation? It's oh. it's some regulatory agency that's saying their approval of of this of this instrument or whatever. Which, yeah. like I said, is subjugation. The, 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 we have we we've got the definition of these words. Well, they're the gatekeepers. Wrong. I mean, yeah. they 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 decide what it is that you is investable based upon if they play by their rules and this and that. And that's just such old thinking now, especially after you've been out of it for a little while and you're looking back you're like, oh my gosh, like that was just such a headache and such a mess and so complicated for no valid reason, right? And because of mostly rules and mm -hmm. working around rules and, and, you know, how do we do this? And oh. the amount of uh, rent seeking in that world. Right. Exactly. It's exactly. You're just moving it around and you're, and, and you're looking for opportunities and, it's been played out, right? It's it's it, that market is so highly liquid and 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 uh, you know if there's if there's twenty five cents to be made, somebody's got, somebody's got a process in there to to eke that out somewhere, um, and we're just seeing that being built now in Bitcoin, and and those are great things to see is these systems being built that create efficiencies between the markets because it's not a very highly liquid market. I remember in the day somebody dropped a hundred thousand, the whole market would crash and be like, what the hell happened? Oh, somebody dumped, you know, a hundred thousand. Holy crap. A hundred thousand. Oh my gosh. Who's doing that? I wonder who that is. Um, now it, it takes quite a bit more to move it, but it's still a relatively small market. It can be moved by um, small amounts of money. Leveraged, especially leveraged. The, the leverage stuff. That's, that's the killer. That it, you know, Sailor can come out and say, I just bought $250 million, you know, of Bitcoin on chain. And Ma, you know, Honey Badger doesn't care. But like when these these deleverage plays kick in, that's when you see, ah, all you idiots out there with derivatives built onto this thing, holding paper Bitcoin, this is why the price <laughs> is moving. Like you're all going to get shaken out and uh, the plebs together strong we'll just keep stacking the real sats and come on you out. didn't you didn't learn the hard way too everybody uh, has to learn the hard way so I, I this is their education they're just you, paying for it that's all that's right paying for their education i learned the hard way anyone with, who with says the that they cards. haven't gotten yeah it, but nobody but everyone has right it's so you've been playing around with whatever it may be and and you learn and then you learn the hard way you get your teeth kicked in and you realize don't do this don't over leverage yourself don't 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 just because you could do 90 percent margin doesn't mean you should because when the market <laughs> like bitcoin can do that in, in a minute right what are you crazy like, that's that's some unless you have some strategy of calls and puts and and you're hoping just for volatility no they're nobody's doing that they're just buying naked calls naked puts naked leverage and, and you're just watching this. And of course the whales are going to come in and wreck you because you've made it easy. They know where all this stuff sits and they know mm -hmm. how much money it's going to take to move that market. We used to do this in the hedge fund space. We used to figure out how much, how, how could we unwind a position without wrecking the market? Well, believe me, they're applying that to this market and seeing, holy crap, we can move this exchange with a couple hundred thousand dollars. There's no liquidity here. Look at this order book. There's nothing here. And that'll set off this. And th anyway, 
yeah, don't don't ever leverage yourself. Not that I give financial advice, but yeah, it, and it creates instability in the market. While it creates stability long term to have these derivatives, short term, you know, you've you've got inexperienced investors playing with them and speculating like with no real strategy. That's not going to play out very well. That I uh, yeah, I know you won't give it financial advice, but I'll, I'll I will. Don't draw lines on charts, and just stack and take self custody of your Bitcoin. Because you and I have seen behind that curtain and we know the games that are getting played and it's just Rexville for you because you cannot play in those waters. There's no way. Well, you can, you can, you can play in it, but you just have to realize that, that you're, you're going to lose money. You're going to, you're going to be on the wrong side of that. And, and, and the problem is everybody's putting all their money on one bet and, and then they lose it all in one shot and they're, and they're done versus yeah, stack them. Just do the dollar cost averaging. All these guys are talking, they're right. That is the best way to invest in Bitcoin. It doesn't matter who you are. Even if you're a stock trader, this is the best way to do it. Just keep accumulating because it's a scarce resource. Again, I'm not giving financial advice, but it is a scarce resource and you just keep accumulating. And those are definitely the people that have, have benefited long-term. All right, Eric, I'm going to ask you the last question. Yep. If you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? Wow. Um. <laughs> that is a good question. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of political figures, but I don't think that they really have. Uh, um, maybe the Pope. Maybe I'll right. give it to the Pope. Yeah. So that, so that, you know, because he's got a pretty large audience. And I think that if he, if he really adopted it and was orange pilled and said, this is the few, I think that could actually change. That would change a lot of things. So there you go. There's your answer the Pope. Love it. Well, of course, there's no wrong answer to that question, but uh, it's nice to get people thinking about it right at the end there. So, mate, I appreciate you coming on. It's been great to to get to know you and to do this rip and to learn about chain bytes and your machines and everything else. Where can people get a hold of you and, and reach out if there's anything that they want to know further or if they've thought of different ways that they might be able to help you out or can collaborate. Uh, you know what the plebs are like. They're, they're here to build. And um, I'm sure we've inspired some. Well, we're doing this, a lot so. of, yeah, we're doing a lot of stuff down in Mexico, charitable type stuff. Uh, we're going to build a Bitcoin city uh, in Santiago with the mayor and we're doing stuff like that. So yeah, definitely looking to do a lot of things in Mexico and in El Salvador as well. Uh, just have some things shaking out, but best way to reach me is uh, at Eric grill, E R I C G R I L L on Twitter. Um, you know, just follow me or at me or DM me. It's all open. Hang on a minute. A Bitcoin city in Mexico? Did I did, did we just brush over that? We didn't announce this yet either. So this, <laughs> this will be done next. Uh, well, he wants a machine in two weeks. So we were talking to the mayor last week. Uh, uh, this is still recording. All right. uh, yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna do something interesting in Mexico. Yeah, so all right. Two 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 interesting projects there, uh, dealing with uh, really transforming the tourism industry. And the homeless problem that they have in some of the problems with the immigration and things like that going on there. So, uh, oh, that's awesome. And I know there's a lot of guys uh, that are in Mexico that listen to the show. Speaking to you, Andrew Howard, get in touch. See if there's anything uh, you guys can do to um, to help each other out. And uh, appreciate you coming on, man. It's been great, great fun. Thanks, Daniel. It's nice meeting you. <laughs> Take care. Have a good night. You too. Well, guys, hope you enjoyed that rip with Eric. Eric was uh, a brand new character to me, as were Chainbytes. I love meeting new plebs and getting down the rabbit hole with them and figuring out how they think, why they think the way they do, why they chose the path they chose to contribute to this movement. And if you are sitting there wondering, how do I step up to the plate? Just step up to the plate. That's as simple as that. It doesn't matter. It really does not matter. Just bring your noise. We're ready for you. We need you. I thank everybody, of course, for listening. And thank you for all of the banter on Twitter and all of the feedback, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. It's all taken on board. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, there's one thing I do want to leave you with. This is a fight we're in. Don't leave this to chance. There's so much dodgy shit going on 
behind the scenes in Cryptoland. We're at the point where we've just had this Ethereum merge thing, whatever the hell that is. There's going to be huge amounts of FUD coming, so sharpen your tools and get ready for um, all of the noise that's going to come our way. You can do that by meeting other Bitcoiners. Uh, it's such a great way to do it. Just have in real life conversations. Perfect time, Dan, to shield some conferences. Liberty in our lifetime. You know what it's going to be. It's going to be in Prague. I've been shilling that one for months. Put on by Peter Young, Free Private Cities, excuse me, Free Cities Foundation. 21st, 23rd of October. Find the link in the show notes. Amsterdam. Yep. The guys that put on the Bitcoin Miami conference are putting on one in Amsterdam in mid-October. Make sure you get your tickets. There's going to be some very cool announcements and you can hang with all your favorite plebs and Bitcoiners. Pacific Bitcoin. Wish I could make it, guys. Swan Bitcoin are going to put on the party of the year on the West Coast. Make sure you use Prince for your discount code. You will get a discount at checkout. Go and buy your friends a book in their native language if it's not English. Consensus Network, have you covered? There's a link in the show notes. Use the code BITTEN. That's going to get you 10% off. And if you want some very cool streetwear Bitcoin-related merch, Max over at the Bit by Bit pod with Mr. Crown have put together ungovernable misfits. And the code BITTEN is going to get you a discount on some selected hoodies or t-shirts. Buy them for yourself or buy them as gifts. Take care, guys. Love you. Speak to you soon.